Welcome everybody to another episode of our epic X-Men reread presented by Crushing Comics. We are tackling Chris Claremont's X-Men run from the very beginning. We started with Giant Size X-Men. Today we are up to Uncanny X-Men 114 and 115, as well as the revisions to these issues from Classic X-Men. We're going to talk about a backup from Classic X-Men number 21, and we're going to talk a little bit about Mystique, who is debuting at this point in Miss Marvel number 16, 17, and 18, and a Mystique backup story set in that same period from Marvel Fanfare number 60. Wow, that sounds like a lot, so we better get to it. I'm joined here by my very good friends Tyler and Freya, and let's just dive right in to Uncanny yep. X-Men 114 as um, Beast and Jean seem done for. They're trekking through the Antarctic tundra. I don't know if tun I don't know if it's technically tundra, if it's in Antarctica or not. Didn't research that ahead of time. And they think they're goners because they've just escaped Magneto's volcanic base. They think the X-Men are dead. And Jean arises from seemingly just being near death and manifests the Phoenix Raptor. And she's intent that she's going to, like, dig them out. Like, she doesn't even realize anything bad has happened. And in doing that, she summons a helicopter to come and rescue them from the Antarctic wastes. So I love the icicles on Beast's face. <laughs> I was just going to say that too. Uh, yeah, I thought it was really cool because it's like... <laughs> it's very old man winter, but it also like establishes the time has gone by. Like it wouldn't mm. feel like as much of a shock to just pick up from right where the last episode wore off, but it's like nighttime. He's been outside long enough that he's got this frost on his face. Although it doesn't, it's not colored very consistently. So even though so you can kind of see that it's still drawn on him in the next couple of panels, we only yeah. really get it because that bright light is like shining on him in that one panel. But Gene yeah. wakes up and what's Gene's first words upon awakening? Uh, Scott! Scott! <laughs> I was like, no, actually, well, you know what? This is this is okay. This is okay yeah. though, because you know, I mean, she's she—that's her last memory of them being separated, and then you know, yeah. coming. It's okay. If only we know what later comes. If only she knows that. Maybe this wouldn't be her first word. Yeah. But that will be that will be at a later time. Um, but this I, this this particular um, image of Jean calling out Scott. Right, uh -huh. um, with a little bit of the fire. I mean, here is a full flash Phoenix bird, but um, right. just remember this image because it will show itself again in a different, entirely different scenario. Ooh, yes, it definitely gets okay. mirrored later. Yeah. Okay, but the thing is, like her clothes also get fixed. I was very um, happy mm. to see that. Like, yeah. you know, I just, I don't, I don't know why, like, you know, is that part of her power structure or what yes. it is? Or it's just like the yes. unstable molecule as you, as you taught me the other day. Well, it, it could be unstable molecules, but it could be her power because her telekinesis has become so powerful that she can rearrange uh, molecules of her clothing. Oh, and okay. I think that's something that a lot of people might miss. The thing we're talking about is on the page turn between her getting the Phoenix Raptor at the end of last issue and even here we see the whole top half of uh, her costume is torn on one side to create kind of like a one shoulder, one cold shoulder look. Yeah. And then on the page turn, all of a sudden she's in a whole costume again. It's easy to miss. No, no, no. Kind of just... It's in the same page because you look at the next panel. You look oh, at even the when she manifests the, the Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really yeah, tiny, but it's... It is, it's definitely repaired there because the hole in her hip isn't there. Either in that right. 
you know, the hip hole, the strategically, I call them strategically placed holes in like ladies. It's mostly ladies. I mean, I think nowadays they put it on gentlemen's as well, but it's only on their abs, just there on their abs. (laughs) But yeah, so the thing is like, and then, yeah, then they get rescued. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and that allows us to cut into the X-Men. And let's remember, 30 days have passed since this last issue in terms of release. Kids were sitting at home thinking the X-Men had died. Yeah. And and then and this cover was not helping them out at all. But <laughs> no. time passes. And while the U.S. Navy helicopter fights its way home through an Antarctic blizzard, elsewhere in a somewhat warmer locale, the X-Men manage to bust their way out of the volcanic tunnels that they've been through, which has been giving Storm quite a feeling. And it turns out that they bust out on the other side into the Savage Land, which Cyclops does have some familiarity with from the original run of Silver Age X-Men. And they immediately run afoul of some dinosaurs. (laughs) <laughs> and it, I mean, it is worth pointing out that it was Storm who saved them, because that's what the caption tell us. Even th- we, I mean, we don't see exactly how she did it here, but um, yeah, but I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, they're like, we would have been lost without Storm. It's a good, you know, we've got to keep Storm alive, not because she's so weak, but because she's so critical, which again, it's just, a, it's a little bit of a difference in reframing, but it makes a really big difference in how you experience a character. Right, but then also the thing is, like, she was also trapped under, like, you know, under... Um, right. Like, and she's claustrophobic, something yeah. that we have already already seen. And then it goes back to my whole point of, like, why is he so good at writing her? And why is not so much in the other one? Like, you know, it's like, it makes sense. I'm like, yeah, so this is not like, oh, my God, like, you know, there's, like, a lady, she can't handle it. Yeah. No, there is a reason for that, because she's, like, claustrophobic, and she they said that they have to walk miles and miles to get out of there. Also... Yeah. I didn't know that uh, Savage Land is actually in Antarctica. Yes. Is that... Yes. Yes. Oh, I didn't it is. know Always. this. It's to this day. Oh, That's okay. Where the Savage Land is. Oh, that is very neat. But I also don't <laughs> like. I, I don't like the idea. Like you know, they just came to some other um, animals area and then just decided to kill that. Like it's like oh. no, you are the intruders. Stop doing that. <laughs> I wish, like you know, that wasn't okay. It was, mm. It's okay. We'll get there. No, I, mean, I know I, what you mean. I really like that Banshee is just like that he's going to go flying and he immediately yeah. gets plucked out of the air. There's just something so funny about that to me that like <laughs> he he's never had to deal with flying around anywhere that there's like an apex predator who's going to just snatch him out of the air. Yeah. And here, you know, Banshee, always always the first one to get injured, uh, immediately gets plucked out of the air. But I also think it leads to this really cool Wolverine moment where, again, you can feel Burns' influence where he's like, let me loose on that thing. This is the thing that I do. And it just, to me, feels much more like Wolverine than this kind of aimlessly angry Wolverine that we've had for the past, like, 20 issues or so. This feels, like, much more like a modern take on Wolverine where he's like, let me hunt it down for you, bub. It just feels more real to me. Or recent Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, no, but but I was thinking, I was thinking, I'm like, oh, that poor dinosaur was probably out there hunting for her babies. Now her baby's gonna go hungry because Wolverine oh, yeah. killed her. Oh no! <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm a carnivore, by the way, so I should not be saying this kind of thing. It really doesn't make any difference. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, yeah. here, here again, I think the art, uh, you know, um, like Burn highlights the, I mean. Like how skillful he is in terms of like um placing the characters, right? So if, if the page where the X Men burst out of the uh you know the tunnel and at the bottom, 
you see one, two, three, four, five, six characters there. And the head are all squeezed into this this panel, long panel, and everyone has a different reaction. Um, and then in addition to that, he bursts Cyclops out of the panel so that to show that he's actually in front of everyone. So I mean I thought that was really, really cool. I think and this, then in I the mean, next... I completely agree. And I think this whole issue is just gorgeous. There's so, And the next one, especially. Yeah. There's just so many points in it that, you know, Cochrane was great, but Byrne and especially Byrne and Claremont just have a really special alchemy here. And there's so many remarkable images of these characters. Mm-hmm. And then in the next page, you actually see them in the same order that you saw the other side. So it's like, it's actually is like that page, but you... They kind of moved just, it. The camera Nowadays, just turn around and go it, and pull car- back. Yeah, camera just turn around. Nowadays, I feel like there would be at least one mistake in the how they were lined up. <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of art, we uh, I think I've mentioned this before that I think there's that unsung hero here in the art department, and that is Terry Austin as oh, the Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, I mean, if you compare the arts that Byrne has inked himself and the art that is inked by Austin, you will realize how much actually Austin contributed to the art, especially the tightness and the cleanliness of the lines. Um, I mean, I tried to look for some uh, X-Men pencils, but I think at that time, they don't do a photocopy of the blue line. So basically, Austin um, he inked, inked over, over the his pencils. actual yeah. pencils, so so I can I can really compare that. But um, I can, I when I compare Burns' work on Fantastic Four, where he inked himself, and here you can totally see the the huge difference in terms of like how tight some of these art appears in Uncanny X Men compared to say Fantastic Four. Hmm. And after the sequence, we for one page flashback to Beast and Jean actually returning to the expansion after their long odyssey back from Antarctica, which is slightly detailed in the expansion of this in classic X-Men. And Jean has to break it to Xavier that the X-Men are dead because Xavier still can't sense them while they are in the Savage Land. But then we go back to the Savage Land and the X-Men are just like living it up. Like they want to get home, but at the same time, they're almost just having a vacation here. Mm -hmm. They've got all, all new fashions and we get Scott who with his little speedo goggles version of his um of his visor and his <laughs> and his facial hair which he trims down to a very suspect mustache uh he sees his reflection and he realizes that Corsair actually looked a lot like him huh <laughs> I think it's kind of fun that he gets to come to this on his own and it's not like this long long running and then somebody confesses the secret to him like he figures it out on his own and it's because they're in the savage land and he can't shave properly which i just think (laughs) is funny so to that point though no but to that point though it's like do you i mean if you see your reflection and you're suddenly like oh i kind of look like that other person do you automatically go they must be my parents well, I think he like has a flash, a full on yeah. flashback. Like he he sees this hint of it, and it almost like unlocks this memory of his parents behind him mm, in the plane, which true, he like never true. could like see fully clearly before. And in his mind's eye, it's like, oh my gosh, that was Corsair all along. And and maybe yeah. it would have just been fleeting, but then Storm is right there, you know. Well, and I think he um his 
thought bubbles also say that oh he he thought he dreamt it but he remember but Corsair actually called his name right while they were in the crystal so oh yeah that's um, right yeah so, so in that sense it's so he's like connecting all the dots after he looked at himself in the <laughs> in 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 the water after he shaved himself so, oh I look like Corsair oh I remember that oh I remember this oh <laughs> so I was like so I was like okay kind of a little bit too late isn't it he's out in space somewhere and you're like oh he's my dad but there's also this really peculiar moment here i'm very interested Mm. to see what you both think about it where he says he's mourned hank because of course the rest of the x-men think hank and gene are dead reflexively Mm. Uh but he hasn't there's nothing left to feel about gene being dead and i have some a lot of thoughts on this but i really want to hear about how the two of you read it before i get into my read on it I mean, how do you think I read it? Like, how? Like, just take a wild guess. Like, you Rolling know, rolling your I mean, eyes. I'm sure. Oh my god! Like, I was like very. So I actually woke up very angry. Like, you know, like after because I woke up this morning and I this is like the for because you know this was the assignment for the day and I'm like oh okay I'm gonna read this and I read this and I just got angrier and angrier like I just like started seething and I'm like ugh like. And why? Like, why is that even a thing? Like, I, I mean, is it like trying to make them interesting couple? Is that the idea here? Like, I don't know. What, what's the story there? What's the history? Why people Tyler, don't what did you talk think? about this more? I mean, it was when I remember when I first read it, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Um, you know, but I, I believe maybe, maybe it was because there were additional pages added in Classic X-Men. It does give um, a lot more context with yeah. the classic So X-Men. maybe because I read that, so it contextualized the whole thing. But okay. um, I was thinking to myself that, oh, you know, it is sort of a a way of him coping with the grief. Because, um, and and I think that has to do with, um, to do with the, 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 the additional page that Claremont added. Because every time I come to this point, I was like, oh, that, yeah, he compartment, he compartment, compartmentize them so that he doesn't basically break down under the grief. I definitely got something a little bit different. And I think that the read has changed over time by other comics that have come out. Because at the time, I think this is Claremont writing about how Gene isn't really the person that he loved before uh, because Phoenix has changed her. But you have to think that at the time, Claremont's conception was Jean and Phoenix were the same thing. There wasn't this idea that Jean had been replaced by the Phoenix. And it almost reads as like, Scott had this puppy love for Jean, and now she's so much more complex, and he doesn't he doesn't know how to mourn for this complex Jean that's just not um, this very easy thing person that he almost possesses as if she's a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And Storm, again, Storm always right. with the best comments to all of the characters early in the run, is like, that's because she's no longer a girl and you're no longer a boy. And I think the point that that Claremont's trying to make here is that Scott's conception of their relationship like isn't the thing that he's grieving, so he doesn't know how to grieve it. Whereas on the next page, you have Wolverine having a very complex feeling about Ugh. Wolverine because he's a man and 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 Jean's a woman, which I choose not to make any further comments on. But then you have to re re reevaluate this after the Phoenix retcon, which of course Claremont had no idea about at the time, mm-hmm. because you, it, there's this deep seated sense in Scott that it's not Jean. You know, they have the psychic rapport, and this is maybe one moment where Scott realizes that the you know on an intuitive 
emotional level, there's no gene to mourn for, which of course is a, is a reading with tons of hindsight and extra context, but that's how you can read it now. Mm. So the thing is like, I was also reading it based on whatever the nonsense that was one of the other classic X-Men backup issue where Jean and Wolverine got trapped in some things. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking that whether he's reacting to a lot of that as well. Because, and to that point though, I don't know like if when, when I'm reading this, should I be including all the, all the classic X-Men back, like, you know, like, revision onto this because isn't it supposed to be just read on its own like you know well you you can never know that though because claremont you can never tell with claremont just like with george lucas you don't know what idea he had at the time that he just didn't have the time or the ability to execute and what idea he's inserting later because he thought it was a good idea it's just impossible to know unless you like read tons and tons of interviews with him and so that's why this read is so fascinating because the classic X-Men issues absolutely change it. And then you have to ask yourself, well, did Claremont really mean that? Or is he trying to fix problems? You know, that's what I was talking about. Like, that's exactly what I was talking about. Like, is he trying to fix the problem? Because if it's trying to fix the problem, well, mm, uh, okay. Um, But it, or is it supposed to be what was there before? And it was, if it was supposed to be there before, why didn't you write it? (laughs) You know, well, almost so... like that in his head that it had always happened, but he yeah. knew that that wasn't going to sell comic books at that time because X-Men was still this very new and precarious thing. So he didn't have time Probably. to just play out this like love triangle nonsense on and on. But then, but maybe like in his mind, it was always happening. But we don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a big like interview reader. I'm a little bit like death of the author when it comes to this stuff. Like what's on the page is on yeah. the page for me to read. So I don't put a lot of stock in like chasing down every Claremont interview to see if he really meant yeah. to write that or not. No, I agree. I mean, like, if if it is a retcon, I mean, there's no way you can don't uh, acknowledge the retcon. So it's similarly, if Claremont has gone back and inserted something into this story, um, I don't see a reason that, you know, we shouldn't, like, oh, we should leave this out because it's convenient or because it's inconvenient to the way we are reading the story. So... Mm-hmm. Um, it should always be taken into account. Um, yeah. I mean, it's also interesting that um, Claremont has changed from using an angry voice at Scott to using Kurt as the angry voice and then Storm as the angry voice here. So so he has migrated from, like, you know, a narrator to Kurt uh, Nightcrawler and then to Storm here. So I think um, for some reason, Claremont is still angry with Scott. Well, it also marks a little bit of a change in Scott that if we go back even to like the first few Claremont issues after Giant Size, to your point, like Scott tells us what to think about the team. It's Scott yeah. that the narrator is talking to. It's Scott who's in charge. And now we're getting to start to see the team through different eyes, which means we, we're getting farther and farther away from Scott narratively so we yeah. can have some perspective on him. And that just didn't exist 10 issues ago. Yeah, yeah okay. but I think like it, it, to me, from the other than Scott, who I don't necessarily care for, um, I was more interested in seeing Storm becoming the big sister of them all. Like, you know, she's like telling them, you're not a boy anymore. I'm like, yeah, tell him. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> and also, him, sister. Oh, go ahead, Tyler. Oh, no. And I was just wondering, I just wanted to point out that um, for some reason, I kind of really like the coloring choice for the flashback. The, the the yellows and the beige and the pink. Um, I, I thought that was really cool. Mm. And this issue ends after all those panels of them kind of 
talking about Scott, Storm goes off on her own, and in a pretty stunning splash page, she is encountered by the fully powered up Sauron. And a lot, what a lot of people forget about Sauron, because they just think he's this pterodactyl, is he drains life force energy to sustain himself. And so uh, here's another character, again, Claremont paying attention to the Silver Age X-Men run that he brings back from Silver Age X-Men, and he has Storm in his clutches to end mm. this issue. Yeah. Right. Shall, should we talk about Wolverine sewing? <laughs> <laughs> Look, he has talents. He has talents. Is... He doesn't believe that being a seamstress, seamstress is masculine or feminine. It's just something <laughs> that a competent hero needs to know how to do to be the best at what they do because your costume and especially, Yeah, especially if you're in like, you know... Um, if you're in like Marvel Universe, you have to know how to sew your costume and stuff like that. Um, but then also like, um, so the thing, one thing I want to do mention though, because those ladies that Colossus is hanging out with, because we yeah. get more yeah. inf- more on them later, they yeah. didn't have tops in here. But I know it's very carefully drawn to imply that it, she has uh, no top. Yeah, yeah right. she has no tops, yeah. but in the, in the backup story, they do have tops. Well, in the backup story, the timing is also not correct. Like, it was supposed... This is, like, clearly in the daytime. But in that story, the coloring of the sky seems to suggest that it was, like, you know, nighttime or something. Anyway, regardless. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're in the savage land. Those ladies can do whatever. I'm yeah. not I'm not questioning that. I'm just saying also, that. I was just not talking about the discrepancy between the two. Because I'm like, yeah, it, it also establishes the fact that Peter likes exotic women. Oh, let's not, Claremont. Uh, so, but the other thing this establishes on this page is just the incredible detail of Wolverine's body hair. I mean, let's Ooh. just really go in hard on one of these panels yeah. here. This is not just like a little bit of pencil lines here and there. Some of it curls in one direction. Some of it rises up. You see the, the back hair kind of yeah. rising up in a crest over his back. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a lot of detail. Byrne had to spend an hour on this one page, this one panel alone, just detailing all of the hair on all the various parts of his body. I guess the clavicles can't really grow hair. Like, that's the one point that you don't yeah. get chest hair on your on your collarbone? I don't know. So do you think <laughs> that the, all the hair in the men's body over here is showing different maturity level of them? Because <laughs> Sean Cassidy has the least amount of... Sorry, Peter doesn't have any hair. Maybe he grows hair after the backup issues incident. Um, then Sean Cassidy has some hair. Then Cyclops has a little bit more, but no one is like Wolverine. And then when you take that in context with Storm says between being a boy and a man, is that what being visualized? Priya <laughs> just unlocked a whole new level that I don't know that anybody's ever been to or will ever go to again with this <laughs> Yeah, it's it was, and it was it was very like pointed. That's what I'm saying. Because you know, nowadays you don't usually see body hair on any media. Well, like yeah. you know, it's just like body hair. Like other than your head, you shouldn't have it anywhere else. Head, well, your eyebrow. That's it. But it, the thing is, like it, this was like very calculated. Like yeah. you know, so that's well, what I mean, I'm just saying. If Colossus has body hair and he transformed into organic steel, does it make him like? Like all the spikes of metal. Yeah, does he, is he like a Brillo pad? Like, how does yeah. that work? Listen, maybe it's just so he doesn't listen, tear his costume Theodore... up. He's got to wax it because then it would mess with his costume if he had steel listen, body hair. Thun- Thunder- Thunderbolt Ross has a mustache. Red Hulk doesn't. 
So by the same, by the same, um, you know, logic. Logic. You know, he can have hair or not. <laughs> you know, but I'm telling you, it. We will see a perfect moment after which Colossus will have hair. We know. Oh it, yeah. Right? Like you know, it's well, coming up. The other thing also is that, um, just in case you're wondering where that half photograph of Wolverine of Jean that Wolverine has tucked in him, in his um waistband all the time. Um, mm. It was first shown in Iron, Man, Iron Fist 15 mm. Where he was like basically You know sort of stalking Her apartment waiting for the party To start and he has this photograph Of like Scott and Jean and he's like <gasps> And he tears he Scott it? and then yeah Yeah oh. that's the photograph Yeah, that's the he's Iron a Fist creepy 15. stalker Yeah Oh <laughs> And then, yeah, once again, we talked about it before, that people just falling in love, and then, why? You haven't even talked with this girl. Because she's Jean. Because she's Jean. We need Kitty and other people to come back here soon. I can't take this anymore. Having, like, just too smart fat. You're very close to that. Yeah, but even after Kitty comes, it's really still, like, the Kitty and Storm show until Rogue gets there, and then it doesn't... We really don't go into, like, the full female force version of Uncanny X-Men until 2.14 when it's, like, Storm... Dazzler, Psylocke, Rogue. That's when, that's when it's the ladies era. And Betsy. And Betsy. Oh, I yeah, you Psylocke. say Psylocke. Sorry. You just now yeah. are to a point where you think of yeah. them as two totally different <laughs> characters. All right, so now as we roll into Uncanny X-Men 115, I guess before we do, we have to talk about the revisions, and we've mentioned them in passing, that the classic X-Men issue makes to that. So it has more of the team's escape through the volcanic caves, so it shows yep. a little bit more of how Storm saved their butts. It gives a page to show how Beast and Jean managed to get from Antarctica back to the X-Mansion, and also gives us a bonus page of Cyclops' misery, which Tyler, I think, alluded to a little bit earlier in the episode. So now we can roll on to Uncanny X-Men 115, which starts in the middle of this confrontation with Saren with, I just think, a totally breathtaking splash page of Wolverine diving and swiping at Sauron. This, this like, fully realized, fearsome, bird-like dinosaur Sauron. It's just really one of my favorite pages in this whole burn run on, on Uncanny X-Men. Well, it's not quite my favorite uh, 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 Burns drawing yet. There's another one that will come like pretty soon, which I absolutely loved when I first saw it. But yeah, this is actually really, really good too. I love it because it's almost a pure pinup. Like there's so little dialogue that needs to happen. Usually in a big page like this, you're trying to like convey a lot of things, but this is basically just a pinup of Wolverine going after Sauron with very, very, the two dialogue balloons aren't even required. Mm -hmm. So what is the story of Sauron? Like, this is not the Lord of the Rings version, obviously. No, different thing. I mean, Claremont clearly stole it. Right. Uh, But the thing is, like, what's his deal? Because he has a, like, a utility belt on him. So... And then he's also a dinosaur or parrot. Well, we get his whole deal in this, in this issue. Yeah. It so that's it. His okay, that's... Origin. Yeah, that's the. Okay, that's, so that's, and it's that's very it. much ripped from the Silver Age. Like this, he had an appearance in the Silver Age. This is the story, and he's usually a man, and he actually is not like a terrible guy. Usually, no. it's but the Sauron version of him is terrible, and so it's kind of and he always he never wants to go back to being human really because why not be a terrible dinosaur if you can? And so it's kind of it's a little bit different than your typical villain because when he's a dude, he doesn't necessarily even want to be yeah. Sauron. It's kind oh, of so it's like a it kind of like Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, there's a Jekyll like, and Hyde aspect to it. Yeah, 
Yeah, or kind of like Hawk, which is also Jack and Hike. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's his thing. Because the thing is, like, you know, he's also friends with Kazar, and I'm like, isn't Kazar supposed to be the good guy? So I just got like, a little confused by that. But well, the human, anyway. the human form is friends with Kazar, but oh, not Sarah. Oh, not the Sarah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So he's a curse thing. Okay. Moving on. Well, this issue, weirdly, doesn't do a whole lot else. It's one of these issues where Claremont, and again, it was the nature of comics at the time, you couldn't have known any of these Silver Age stories, so we had yeah. to recap those. Then he had to give you some information about something that happened in, in some kind of Kazar story. And the yeah. whole issue kind of turns into a recap with very, very little X-Men content in it as he explains all of the stuff that happened in the Savage Land. And it gets to the end, and the X-Men hilariously are like, okay, that's nice, we've got to go. And they try to leave, but no, <laughs> it turns out that the drama in the Savage Land is severe enough that yeah. the X-Men actually need to stay and deal with it. Well, I mean, the 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 strange thing is, and I did not know that until this reread where I tried to track down Kazar number 20, is that this is actually the continuation of the story from Kazar 20. Oh yeah, straight up. So Kazar 20 basically stopped at a cliffhanger and it is the last issue of Kazar. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think in the latest page, it says something like, you know, oh, um, uh, you know, I mean, at on the last page, it says something like, "Oh, see the latest page for 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 how it ends" or something like that. So, so basically, I think something happened. I, I don't know the history. Kaza got cancelled, and Burn and Karamon is like, "Oh, you guys have to continue the story, or they were told to continue the story, and therefore you have this huge." Um, number of pages of like exposition in the middle which i was like wait what where's the shot coming from and what 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 has what has this got to do with the x-men i was like i was actually a little bit confused even when i reread this again so this was the first tie-in is that what you're saying marvel getting their ideas of how to do tie-ins and then you well know, events not the first though because it's not so different no. than what happened with the Eternals you know we we yeah. recently were talking about the Eternals for an episode on the YouTube channel and you know Harry pointed out that the Eternals original Jack Kirby series ends very abruptly and then it was basically the few other Marvel authors who were obsessed with the Eternals they kept the story alive and the what if backups and then also basically resolving the mm. Eternals plot in Thor and so this was just a very common thing in the 70s you know we there were a lot more kind of comics coming and going and all the Marvel authors tended to be like "Ooh, what could I dip into and resolve or pick up from yeah. these other titles because not only would you be able to kind of serve the story that you enjoyed but you might pick up some of the readers from that title as well who can help keep your comic book alive yep and the and thing that's interesting to me here though in terms of that is that they don't put kazar on the cover it doesn't and it doesn't even say in the savage land on the cover so it's just weird to me that they don't like signal to readers that maybe had been reading that title like you should pick this up and even in the next title uh, I guess Kazar's kind of like on one side of the fire, but you can't even really mm -hmm. fully tell. But it does yeah. say at the bottom to save the Savage Land. So I think that um, I think that this was them trying to pick up some of that plot heat. Plus, Claremont wanted to use the Savage Land because he wanted to use Sauron and all this stuff and put the Magneto base there. And yeah. he realized the last time anybody touched the Savage Land was in Kazar. So it kind of like all works. Cyclops is like, oh, you know, yeah, because he's like, oh, our first duty is to Professor X. I was like, is that so? I thought you guys just spent a week in Salvage Land vacationing. So 
why why is there a sudden need to go to Professor X now that um you know Kaza is like oh I I need your help and Cyclops is like no I don't uh I was, we need to go to Professor X now we can't help you and like even Storm gave Scott like a dirty look or oh, what I imagine is a dirty look when he said that so I don't know I I feel like this was the the part that sort of tripped me a little bit like oh what do you mean you, your first duty is to Professor X you spent a week here doing nothing he just wants to run chip play chicken like that's all <laughs> that's, his, that's his thing <laughs> and tellingly in the classic X-Men issue Claremont really doesn't do a whole lot to extend any of the Savage Land stuff almost all the pages and additional material are devoted to Jean being back mm-hmm. at the mansion and just trying struggling to like get a handle on her psychic powers as the phoenix yeah. so even even claremont kind of recognizes in retrospect that this is just a very recappy issue and there wasn't a whole lot else to say about the no. the recappy parts yeah. yeah but um i know i know we have always talked about classic x-men in terms of like oh you know they um we added this pages here and then the backup stories but um i kind of want to talk a little bit about i mean not talk but just point out that the classic X-Men covers drawn by Art Adam is... I, I really love them. I thought they're really cool. And and I also think that um, each, each, um, each classic X-Men, there's always a contents page. And each contents page will have one panel and things like that drawn by Art Adam, which I love. So, you know, I mean, um, I just want to point that out because, you know, for people who have not read or, uh, or or collected the single issues, they might have not. They might not have seen them. Um, they are in uh, the omnibus, though the classic X Men omnibus. Mm-hmm. So, this offers me a great chance to mention how I really hate Art Adams, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which we'll Oops. get into in full if we make it all the way to things like the Asgardian Wars. So yeah. I um I very purposely ignore all of the covers of classic X-Men because he's one of my least favorite artists. Got it. <laughs> I know this is you know what's funny is that before the internet you could be by yourself having these takes like even yeah. in, as I started to catch up on things and I have so many opinions that I just assumed I'm like of course everybody would not like Art Adams like we'll get into it at some point later but I, because you're by yourself and especially when you're a yeah. teenager you, you know you kind of think the world resolve, revolves around you mm-hmm. and I'm like okay well everybody must hate this gosh why do they keep bringing him back and then to be exposed to the wider world of people like exactly. Tyler and the majority of people who are X-Men fans who are like, you don't like Art Adams? Omar almost kicked me off of his channel. He was he was like, oh, we should use the Art Adams cover for that and show that I was with him. I'm like, why? Art Adams is awful. And he was like, oh. and you could see the whole comment stream kind of gl- gasp collectively. Everyone. But it kind of makes but- me miss when you could be so separate from, from the kind of crowd opinion on things that you could mm-hmm. develop a whole separate divergent opinion of one of these books or one of these runs yeah. or one of these authors or creators without ever having to be like okay but i know everybody likes him but i don't like him i like yeah. fully thought that he must be the most unpopular artist you know to me that's frank quietly so my brain actually shut down when i thought that i am actually the opposing on this like because most of my most of my taste and everything is like very much mm-hmm. like you know vanilla it's like it goes yeah. with the goes with the flow and then it's like people are like no frank quite i'm like what he makes emma frost look ugly do you know how hard you have to try surprisingly <laughs> we three by him is actually pretty good because it's only dogs that he's drawing so, yeah he only has to draw animals 
Well, we'll have yes. to be doing this show for a anyway. long, long time before Freya's Frank Quietly opinions come yeah. to bear on an X Men <laughs> run. But maybe we'll maybe we'll make it all the way all the way there. So, um, look, classic X Men number twenty one. Again, mm-hmm. tw- the story in twenty fifth much later after issue one twenty nine. But classic X Men one twenty one follows that panel of Colossus and his topless friends to Colossus having <laughs> to fight a T Rex. Twice. He has to fight it mm-hmm. once unpowered and it, it it mauls one of the Savage Land beauties that have been fawning yeah. over him. And so then he fights it again as Armored Colossus and defends it. And this is um, the origin of him potentially leaving children fathered all throughout the Earth and galaxy, just like Wolverine, uh, <laughs> because he's a himbo. That's, that's basically <laughs> what this story is is setting up here. <laughs> I was also thinking because now he's actually in savage land right because yeah. that's where he is right now i'm like hmm, what is he up to now oh that definitely <laughs> like, connects to this in in the current like, comics we have yeah. seen Colossus be in the savage land it's absolutely a nod to this no right. but I have, a, I have a more basic question where did he get the pet and pencil from right he's like oh this pad is so soggy and it's this like beautiful spiral bound notebook i'm like where did you get a spiral bound notebook to begin with you're in the savage land <laughs> and before that mesmero basically mesmerized him like hypnotized him so basically mesmero is like oh pick up your pen and paper we are going somewhere you're going to be the strong man and artist Maybe he just keeps him and keeps that in his pocket. But the thing is, I just like like those ladies' ideas of like, hey, my our friend died. What is a better way to mem- um have her memory than create new life? I'm like, I, I'm with I'm rolling with it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't recommend that, but okay, you know, okay. it's a life for a life. It's like you know, from a different point of view. But okay, but yeah, and then yeah, so he had fun. Well, that's very, I mean, you know, without knowing the specific uh, thing I'd be referring to, it feels very pagan, right? That like you would end a funeral with with an orgy. Yeah. But, Mm. you know, no no offense to pagans. I'm not referring to any specific thing. It just reads to me that if they were, they had a sort of nature-based philosophy and religion that, yeah, you would conclude somebody losing their life with creating new life. Uh, Mm. But we have another story to talk about. It's a, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying that Wolverine knew what those ladies were up oh, to. Oh, he knew. So he just, yeah. Yeah. Just... So around the same time as this is Ms. Marvel 16 through 18, which is the debut of Mystique. And we have to tell you, if you're a big Mystique fan, you're going to get virtually nothing from reading these issues from Mystique. They're fine Ms. Marvel issues, but the Mystique component is not so much, even though she yeah. originates there. But that means that any story about Mystique that predates her debut also kind of fits in here. And so Anne mm-hmm. Nascenti, the very last issue of Marvel Fanfare, which is an anthology uh, series that started in 1982 specifically for the direct market, it runs 60 issues, and in the last issue, Anne Nascenti writes a second story that is about Mystique forming her new Brotherhood of Mutants, and it's after she's already adopted Rogue, Mm-hmm. And it kind of shows us what Rogue is up to around this time. It'll be another 25 issues before Rogue debuts and takes Ms. Marvel's powers. But this shows that Rogue, you know, while the X-Men are having this one experience of being together, Rogue is going down this terrible path with Mystique, who doesn't even know how to parent and muses like, how did I wind up with a daughter? As Mystique is trying to pull together this fearsome team of mutants. And so we get Rogue, unfortunately, in the story is a little bit of a sexual assault monster because yeah. she's just like making out with everybody to steal their she powers, is. even though yeah. she knows that she's going to get too much. And so, um, and that's this Anasenti Marvel fanfare story. Freya, what did you think about this one? I mean, I don't know what 
universe and Nasanti is in because this is the third one I read by her like you know where it's like weird sexual assaulting thing going yeah. on like <laughs> so that's why I was like and then in a world where we are kind of in a pandemic that whole very touching it's like ew you don't know where his mouth was right just going around and mouth kissing people it's from a, yeah, it's like, a much more innocent time but yeah and whether it was because and how old was she supposed to be because that also kind of concerned me it's like oh how she's definitely is... a teenager teenager yeah that's yeah. even worse like everything combined of that i was like what and she can't touch and get that same information the yeah. fact that she's doing it i don't know whether it was because she was trying to get a rise out of mystique and whether that was the ulterior motive i i don't know their relationship yet mm -hmm. so i was not quite figuring i was trying to figure that out but overall in all it was like okay but is this pyro in the current murders no different current pyros oh actually no yes, yes right? there's two pyros in the yeah. in current x-men but i think okay. the pyro in marauders is original flavor it's pyro correct. not new flavor pyro from x-men gold yeah, yeah. okay so this is this one like, yes, it's and he's, oh, okay. he's English. He's English, or is he Australian? I never can remember because when I'm right. reading it with with yeah. my daughter, I can never remember what um what voice to do. Yeah. Oh, okay, because I was like, hey, I know that guy. That's what my <laughs> that was my other takeaway from this whole thing. Was. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is that um, Ennosanti tends to write about um social stuff, and I am pretty sure this is her tackling the issue of addiction using rose um, touch as an allegory to drugs taking and other things like i mean hmm. it's not subtle at all it's very much you know hammering the point across and right. i so so here rogue came off kind of like a junkie so uh -huh. she's like totally out of control and she's basically you know um riding the high of like uh, absorbing people's mm. money so this is, I think this is what is happening here. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it makes you feel uncomfortable, but I think it is meant to make you feel uncomfortable. See, oh. I, got, I read it really differently. That's interesting though, because when I read yeah. it, I read it very much as that Rogue's a teenager. And you know, a lot of teenagers act out as they're trying to understand and define for themselves their sexuality. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's, Nascenti trying to show us that in a capsule. You know, Rogue gets dressed in this very provocative way and she wants to flirt with every man. And it kind of is Nascenti commenting on, you know, what teenagers do to try to define themselves in that way often mm -hmm. really involves a lot of letting other people define them. Like they want to be what other people can see on them, especially kids who go through this very specifically sort of sexual revolt where they're trying mm -hmm. to make themselves look attractive and make themselves look appealing, especially to older people who should know better. Uh, and so Nascenti, without having getting a chance to write that whole arc, basically gets to write it in a really compressed amount of pages to say like, and here's Rogue kind of throwing herself of all of these people. And Rogue is being fundamentally changed every Every time and yet she's still doing it uh mm. which i'm not passing a value judgment on that as a story or that as it aligns to the real world but i very much got nascenti commenting on that rather than commenting on a drug thing so freya you've got to be the judge which social <laughs> issue is Anne nascenti writing here is it addiction or is it teenage promiscuity 
both why can't it be both like you know because this is what i was gonna say though this is like the third time very recently i mean mm-hmm. depending on when we're dropping this episode yeah. i was like tyler changed my mind about something completely like you know now i'm like whoa now i love this issue <laughs> so so you know from that point of view it was good chatting about it now i honestly thought that she was trying to get a rise out of mistake like that's mm-hmm. what i my take one on that was like she so like, that would you know, be closer I, to peter's peter's take because it's like as a teenager she's like pushing the boundaries and trying to find herself and you know in the process basically um going against the wishes of the authority figure here yeah like you know that's what i was kind of i was kind of thinking but if you're thinking that maybe while she is doing that but she's also kind of getting a little bit addictive of her power or what her power can do that also makes a lot of sense that why she is doing it this way like you know if it was just the power then i think she would have probably just touched but if it was it's like she's doing both at the same time you know like it's like she's combining the both thing just being a rebel all around how did she ended up well we're gonna go get there right we're like gonna how get she there. ended up with mystique yeah we're oh, gonna okay. get there yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, so, well not so much yeah, well, so, not the, uh, we'll not, get not, there. it'll get explained yeah not how she ended with mystique not very clearly but uh how she ended up with the x-men we'll get there but the other thing you know oh, having just awesome. read the first 50 issues of rogue through reading claremont and my I'm further in my personal reread. Yeah. Claremont doesn't really address how touch starved Rogue would be. Like he just m- later authors really play that, especially in the mm-hmm. 90s. You get Rogue who's just like craving physical contact and she's like almost not even sad when she loses her powers sometimes because yeah. it means somebody can hug her. And you know, to Nascenti's credit, as weird and creepy as it comes off, like she wants to sink her teeth immediately into the story of like a teenager who can't like high five their friends and put their arm around somebody and touch their mom on the nose and mm-hmm. and how she and that really feels very real right now in the current pandemic as much as Freya said that she had this like aghast quality of rogue kissing people at the same time like don't you feel like we can understand rogue a little bit better right now and like yeah. how desperate you would be to hug somebody who you really love you know oh listen I had rogue as my full personality because growing up as a fairly conservative society where girls are not supposed to touch anyone neither are boys but no one's supposed to touch anyone so i took rogue as my role model there were so mm. many angsty fan fiction especially mm. given that she had such a hot boyfriend as gambit mm. <laughs> <laughs> it creates a lot, <laughs> a lot of I mean, angst <laughs> to, to to be fair like um i i, I don't hug people um back home Oh, so so you're not a it wasn't until when I came to US that I started hugging people because, yeah, because that's not a common thing in Singapore. That's you, actually you don't very hug. true. We started yeah. hugging our parents since we moved here. Now we yeah. are huggers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We no, I mean, now I, I hug people, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's just going to be weird if i do that to my singaporean friends because this has <laughs> never been the case we have never done that's interesting that i never really thought about that but like you know i'm here with with a partner and a daughter and we yeah. hug each other but like mm-hmm. you don't realize i didn't realize how much i hugged and and like put my arms around friends that have been you know my platonic friends for a really long time yeah. and so here i realized that like i had never i had like not touched anybody outside of my house and this is even pre-pandemic for like years mm-hmm. uh and and that really hit me and then you get into the pandemic and everybody's talking about like oh i'm so touch starved and i'm like oh really and i'm like oh because i'm already in 
touch starve mode because I don't have anybody outside of my household that you have these casual and in, you know interactions with like bumping them or shaking their hands or whatever because it's I don't think it's as touchy here as it is in the yeah. in Philly. I think Philly's much touchier. Anyway, well that got deep and personal very quickly. <laughs> so um so it turns out this Anasenti story has levels, I think is what yeah. we're saying. You don't yeah. you don't have to read it here, but it is technically just before or just after Mystique makes her debut, which is around this time. And one of the things that's really fun for me in terms of doing a chronological X-Men read and why I have my huge X-Men chronology is to figure out what other characters are doing at that same time as the X-Men. Like, where is Emma Frost right now? Where is Rogue right now? Where is Kitty right now? Where are all these characters in their journeys at the same time as what's happening in X-Men? I just find that really fascinating because it helps to inform who they are when they arrive. So I'm really, really into that. And that's why I put together my chronological guide to begin with. So we will continue to do this. If there's a major X-Men character who has some kind of like side story appearance around this time, we'll do it. At some point, we might tackle all of Captain Britain because that explains what Psylocke has been doing, mm. Betsy has been doing all this time. But, but that's that's Brian the Human, though. Brian, yeah. Brian the Human, right. So, <laughs> so that brings us to the end of this discussion. If you want to keep reading with us, the next issue is a very straightforward set of issues to read along. You just read the next two issues of Uncanny X-Men, 116 and 117, and you read the classic X-Men issues that go along with them, 22 and 23. So until then, thank you so much for joining us. As you can see, even from this issues, it's just so much more fun when you get to dig into these things together. There's so many things that I didn't notice that Freya and Tyler noticed. And that is why X-Men is what, Freya? It's better when it's read together. That's right. And so we're so happy. I can't do this damn heart. I try every episode. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you, my, I don't, do my, I don't know. You need, you need the feminine touch for this. I'm not trying it. That's why I'm using this. <laughs> well, we really do appreciate you hanging in for this read for us, and we hope that you got some new things from it, too. So we hope that you think that X-Men are better when they're read together, and you'll join us for another couple of issues coming soon on our epic X-Men reread. So thanks so much for listening, and please be well. Thank Bye. You.